say you can't have it all, and I agree with that. You can have everything that's important to you. And I think what a trap that people get into is they say, well, I have what's important to me, but I also want what Davina has. And I also want what that person has. And that's where you get into trouble because you can rank your values. You can decide what's important to you. You can do work that you like, but you're not necessarily going to be paid handsomely if the work that you like is highly altruistic, right? It just doesn't work that way. So we all have trade-offs that we make. That's why I think wealth is a much more complicated topic because you can make a ton of money and be desperately unhappy. Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. What if you could hang out with successful women lawyers, ask them about growing their firms, managing resources like time, team, and systems, mastering money issues, and more? Then take an insight or two to help you build a wealth-generating law firm. Each week, your host, Davina Frederick, takes an in-depth look at how to think like a CEO, attract clients who you love to serve and will pay you on time, and create a profitable, sustainable firm you love. Davina is founder and CEO of Wealthy Woman Lawyer, and her goal is to give you the information you need to scale your law firm business from six to seven figures in gross annual revenue, so you can fully fund and still have time to enjoy the lifestyle of your dreams. Now, here's Davina. Today, I want to introduce our sponsor, Noble Marketing. Over the last four years, Noble Marketing has tracked more than 250 law firms and discovered 60 to 80% of new client calls were generated through Google My Business and Google Ads. Basically, you need to be on Google and Noble Marketing can help. I recommend them because they have an incredible guarantee. Your campaign will be profitable in three months or less, or they will work for free for an additional three months. If they fail after a total of six months, they'll refund your entire investment, including ad spend. If you could use more qualified leads, I encourage you to reach out to Ronnie Deaver at noblemarketing.co. Mention you heard about them here on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast and Noble Marketing will waive your setup fee, instantly saving you up to $2,500 or more. And now on with our show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, founder and CEO of Wealthy Woman Lawyer. And I'm here today with a colleague and friend, Dina Lefkowitz. Dina is known as the counselor's coach. So I'm really excited to talk with her today. We're going to learn a lot. She is a professional coach for lawyers and executives. She is a former lawyer herself. We're going to hear all about her story there. She is the founder of Achievement by Design. And she's the author of Winning in Your Own Court, 10 Laws for a Successful Career Without Burning Out or Selling Out. I've got questions. I know you've got questions. We're going to be diving in. So Dina, welcome. I'm happy you're here. Thank you so much. It's such a thrill to hear myself introduced as an author. It's still so (laughs) new. (laughs) I know, right? I've written a couple of books and used the word author. I've been a writer forever and a copywriter, journalistic writer, all those things. But when you hear author, it's a whole different thing. When did you publish your book? My book was published on September 1st, 2022. Oh, which happens to be my mother's birthday. So oh, happy birthday to your mother. And I have something in common now. We were both birthed on September 1st. 
Exactly. That is the truth. That is the truth. All right. I've got lots of questions for you today. So let's start with your journey, first of all, to becoming a lawyer. Was it something that you always knew you wanted to do? Or was it something that, you know, at some point somebody said, probably a good idea if you went to law school. And so you said, okay, (laughs) or what? Being a lawyer was never something that I thought of. I never really thought of a career path at all. That was not something that was in my lexicon. I just knew from a very early age that I always seemed to want more. I was the youngest of five. My father was a school teacher. Obviously, money was a problem. He moonlighted doing part-time work, and there was really never enough. So I realized that if I wanted something, I was going to have to work for it. And I got my first job when I was 10 years old, working in a summer camp for the summer. And at the end of the summer, I was able to buy a camera. And the connection between autonomy, making money, and being able to get the things that I wanted was forever emblazoned in my soul. I was never without a job after age 10, part-time, of course, in high school, got working papers at 14, put myself through college. And at that point, Davina, I thought I was done. I thought I would get a good job with all my degree and all my smarts. And that I would work for the rest of my life. But I found out that a liberal arts degree doesn't get you very many jobs. I'm sure there are going to be people listening to this right now saying, it doesn't? Oh, my God, what am I going to do? It doesn't. And so just like my father, I was moonlighting. When I got my first job out of college, I couldn't afford a car. I couldn't afford to move out of my college apartment. I catered and wrote newspaper articles and did other things on the side. And I thought, when will the day come when I can just have one job? And I started to think, what am I going to do? And like so many other people have told you before, and like so many people are doing right now, I threw a dart at a career I had heard of. I took the LSAT and I went to law school. And I really didn't know anything about what being a lawyer involved. I was encouraged to go to law school because I'm smart and articulate. How much time do you think I spent being articulate every day in my job as a lawyer? (laughs) I got to go to court sometimes, but most of the day I was sitting behind a desk solving problems and working hard. So it really wasn't anything that I knew. The thing that really made me want to help lawyers was what happened next. Because once I got through law school and I started working as a lawyer, I focused on the work. I was taking depositions. I was doing arbitrations. I was arguing motions. I was writing briefs. I was doing it all and I was doing really well at it. And I was getting great performance reviews, great raises. Everything was going great until my law firm decided to close. Oh, well, how long did you work for the law firm? This was your first job that you got. No, it it wasn't my first job. I had worked for a couple different firms. I had been at this firm for a couple of years and it was closing and all of the lawyers were looking for work. And an interesting thing happened. There was one partner who just wanted to go of counsel. He had a good book of business, but he didn't want to do any work. And he had a much easier time finding his next gig than I did. With all my industry, with all my hard work, with all my jury experience, It was the book of business. The scales fell from my eyes. Right. I realized that being a good lawyer was not going to be enough. 
<laughs> so I find it interesting because I coach women law firm owners in growing their law firm business. And of course, the business as the business owner, it's our responsibility to bring in work. In fact, the advice that I give most of them is it's your job to bring in business. You're hiring associates to do the work in the beginning. And it's your job to make that investment and bring in the business or any partners. And so we know if we're going to run a law firm business, that that's a big part of our career. But what a lot of people don't think about is if even if you're working for someone else, if you want a career in the law and you want to make partner in another law firm business, it's an expectation that you will have a book of business that you're growing with you. And if you ever want to do like you did and move on to someplace else, that's going to be something that's going to make you the pick over another candidate who doesn't have a book of business. So I think it's really interesting that you bring this topic up. So tell me then, what did you do at that point? Here you are, you've been, how long had you been working as a lawyer? How many years? years. You already had a decade as a lawyer and no mentor had taken you by the hand and said, you need to be working on building your book of business. No, no, Davina, they didn't. And I think there's a reason that they didn't. They wanted me to be available to work on their things. Oh, yes. So I find when I coach lawyers now and in my career and in all the time in between that this has not changed. As you just said, associates are brought in to do the work. Now, you said at least initially, but I didn't find there was ever an end to that period where someone said, now, come on, Dina, what are you going to do about bringing in some business? No, they were very happy to have my industrious person working on their stuff. And so, yeah, I, I was able to. I guess, evade. I didn't have to confront the marketing thing at all. It was you never know, you know, a topic. It's interesting because I actually worked as a marketer for, I was the head of the marketing department for a mid-sized law firm. They had 50 partners at the time at a half million dollar marketing budget. And I was, you know, worked closely with the attorney that was in charge of marketing for the firm, the marketing committee. And he said to me, we don't really want the business that associates will bring in because we want these, they, they did a lot of real estate and to business, these large businesses. So, you know, an associate who wants to bring in their friend who's going through a divorce wasn't something that that law firm was interested in. So they didn't invest in training them for business development until they had been with the firm for some period of time and were on the partnership track and they could see this, they're getting close to where they we're going to be partner. And this is when they would start to, you know, invest a little bit in that kind of thing, getting them on a board or something like that, right? But not your experience at all. And do you know what the problem with that is? By the time- Lots of problems with that. (laughs) Yeah, where do we start, right? One of the problems with what you just said is habits have already been ingrained. So, okay, I haven't been asked to do anything on business development, networking, marketing, until I'm being considered for partnership. Well, that's many years of not building my network, many years of not posting on LinkedIn, many years of not having a social media presence that I now have to catch up to, right? So you lose a lot in those years and then habits are ingrained. You're not used to marketing, networking, making time for those things. Maybe you don't even know what you're doing. And that's where I find people really fall down because we always go to the things that we feel comfortable with, that we're experts at doing, where we feel confident and qualified. 
So networking marketing just falls to the bottom, especially since partners are generally happy to have you working on their things. Now, you said earlier, if you want to make partner, you better start thinking about bringing in business. But it's also true if you just want autonomy over your career, if you don't want the winds of change that happen in law firms to totally control you. When you have your own clients, it's like a bulletproof vest. Many coaches get all of their business from big law firms. Many coaches that I know. That's not how I am. I get some that way, but I have a lot of individually paying clients that come to me. And when the pandemic hit, all of the coaches I knew were petrified that they were going to lose their business. And some of those big firms did immediately pull coaching agreements, but my individual clients stuck with me. So having your own book of business has proven not just as a lawyer, but as any professional service provider, it's your security. It's a must. I also think that when you talk about your network, a network is much bigger than just business, people hiring you. A network is if you change jobs or you want to do something different, your network is your source of connections to help you think outside the box, bridge those gaps, introduce you to somebody. It's important for speaking engagements or guest podcasting or anything, anything that you do, anything that you want to do in your career. If you want to enter into a totally different career, having a good network of professional colleagues is going to make a huge difference for you as opposed to just trying to go it alone. Yeah, for sure. I can't tell you how many people don't think about their network until they're looking for a new job. And then I look at their LinkedIn profile and they have 99 contacts, you know, (laughs) and I know it's going to be an uphill battle because this is a person who hasn't put any value or emphasis on relationships. Well, there's nothing like getting that email out of the blue to from somebody that you haven't spoken to in forever. He's like, hey, how you been? You're like, okay, what do you want? I haven't heard from you in forever. I know there's something that you want. And I'd rather people just be direct than try to, you know, like take up my time to catch me up on things. Just tell me what it is that you want because I'd rather help you than and move on than just get caught up in this false sort of relationship that we don't have because I haven't heard from you in years. I want to talk to you. I want to ask you specifically about the laws you didn't learn in law school because you talk about this a lot in sort of how you coach and how you teach the laws you didn't learn in law school. And I know you have a number of them, but I one of them in particular was this where you were talking about confidence. So can you tell me some of the laws that we didn't learn in law school and what you mean by that? Because to lawyers, lawyers are going to look at it and go, what do you mean? Here's the law. I've heard of laws of the universe. I've heard of laws of physics. I've heard of legal laws. But what do you mean by that? Well, it's funny that you say that because I did have a couple of lawyers question whether I should call that, call my book the laws. I'm not surprised by that. (laughs) Exactly. One of them said, how about rules? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, thank you. You know, my point is, the law of attraction isn't yeah. in a statute, but people talk about it as a law. That's how I view the laws that, that are in my book. And they really came up as a result of the school of hard knocks because I didn't really learn anything in law school that I could take with me practically into the profession. I learned how to think like a lawyer, how to research, how to write, all that great stuff. But I was like a child who doesn't know where babies come from. 
I didn't know where clients came from. I had no idea. Getting clients wasn't something that entered my mind as a problem to solve, much less something that I was going to be involved with. So a couple of laws that came up are understand what you're getting into. I threw a dart at what I thought was a high paying profession, and it isn't really. <laughs> I think the average salary for lawyers right now is somewhere around $150,000 a year. And when you think about how much money it costs to go to law school and how much time you spend becoming proficient as a lawyer, that's not the salary I think people are really shooting for when they think I want to It's a lot be. less. It's a lot less in other locations too. And it's I a know. lot less for solo practitioners who aren't building a business. Right. So. 150 is the average. That means there are a lot of people making a lot less than that as right. lawyers. Right. So I thought I was throwing a dart at a high paying profession. You're never going to get rich working for a salary as a lawyer. So I had that all wrong. And even the salaries themselves were shockingly low in my view. You hear about what big firms are making, and that is a tiny percentage of what lawyers actually earn. Uh -huh. so that was a shock to the system. So some of the laws that I talk about in my book are First of all, figuring out what's important to you. This is the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. And I think of wealth as being not just financial. Wealth is also the ability to decide what you want to do with your life. And a lot of people don't know themselves well enough to make that decision. I didn't really know myself until I was in my 30s and I was already practicing law by then. Mm -hmm. I figured out who I was by being in situations that I found intolerable. So I found it intolerable to be a litigator. I literally cried on Sunday nights knowing I was going to have to go back and do that job again. So why did somebody who doesn't even like to send food back in a restaurant become a litigator? <laughs> I didn't know myself. I didn't know what was important to me. And, you know, even if you ask me what's important to me now, I'd give you all the same answers everybody does. Health, family, you know, security. But in what order? Because right. they say you can't have it all. And I agree with that. You can have everything that's important to you. And I think what the trap that people get into is they say, well, I have what's important to me, but I also want what Davina has. And I also want what that person has. And that's where you get into trouble because you can rank your values, you can decide what's important to you, you can do work that you like, but you're not necessarily going to be paid handsomely if the work that you like is highly altruistic, right? It just doesn't work that way. So we all have trade-offs that we make. That's why I think wealth is a much more complicated topic because you can make a ton of money and be desperately unhappy. So right. I, work at, I work at helping people have great careers, successful careers, as they define it. So the first thing that the first law in my book is assess the situation. Where are you now? If you're not happy, why? Is it the situation? Is it the firm? Is it the area of law? We have to figure out why you're unhappy before we can do anything else. So you have to figure out what's important to you, what really matters, so that you can figure out what having it all looks like. Yeah, you and I are in agreement with that because that is one of the things with what I teach my clients. 
wealth is the goal, but wealth is the goal because oftentimes what we want, we need to be able to fund. And I think women often short themselves by not dreaming big enough about what they can have because they're too busy trying to do it all. They think having it all means doing it all. And so they're so busy trying to do it all. And then they say, well, if I want to scale my law firm to a million dollars, or I want to get a large book of business, that sounds exhausting to me on an already to-do list that's already overloaded. Because their first thought is, I need to go and do more. And I know you had that. I listened to a conversation you had. You were talking about a client who had that, the very first thing you had to figure out what to do for her to be a rainmaker was to find time on her calendar to do it. Because that's one of the biggest challenges of high achieving women. If we want to incorporate something else in our life that we need to balance out in our life, we need financial security and wealth, as well as time with family, as well as time for self-nurture. The first place we have to look is how we're spending our time, right? So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I would love to. So she was a working mother with a husband and she was offered the job of managing partner in her firm, but she didn't want to do that because she saw it as largely unpaid work and it would keep her from doing the rainmaking stuff that she thought was her real security, which I totally agreed with. So she wanted to be a rainmaker and was having trouble finding the time to do it. So I did an exercise with her that I do with lawyers sometimes they hate it because it involves writing down the time that they're spending on things. And it's kind of like a timesheet. It comes from another coach. I think it's Gretchen Vanderkamp, the 168 hours log. We all have 168 hours a week, you, me, Oprah, all of us. And so how we deploy them is the important thing. So I have people keep track for two weeks of how they're spending their time without judgment, just write it down, whatever it is. Because then you can see if your values are really aligned with the way that you're spending your time. Like if you say family is the most important thing to me, and then it turns out you spend all night scrolling Facebook without looking at your family once, well, then we have a dichotomy, shall we say. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. So, So I had her keep track of her time. And the interesting thing that she realized was that she had plenty of time for marketing and that one of the issues was that she and her husband were not contributing equally to the running of their household, the taking care of their kids, driving them places, all of that. Like you just said, she thought she had to do it all. So she looks at her timesheet and she says, why am I doing everything? And she talks to her husband about it. And the first thing he says is, well, I'm doing a lot more than Joe is as a husband. (laughs) And she said the best thing. She said, you shouldn't be comparing yourself with Joe. You should be comparing yourself with me. (laughs) We're running this house together. Right, right. So they came to a new understanding. She freed up a little bit more time for networking and marketing and still had all the time she needed for the things that were important to her. Hey, can I ask you a question real quick? How good are you at delegating? I find delegating is one of the biggest challenges many women law firm owners face in their business. Some think to themselves, it's just quicker if I do it myself. Others don't have a team or the right team to delegate to. And still others tell me they think they are delegating, but realize that they still have way too much on their plates and they often don't understand why. 
If any of that sounds like you, I've got your back. Go to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash delegation hyphen secrets hyphen opt-in, O-P-T-I-N, to grab a copy of my free report, Delegation Secrets for Women Law Firm Owners Who Do Too Much. In this report, I share with you the secrets I've learned about delegation from almost a decade of coaching women law firm owners. Commit to become a better delegator in 2023, and your new mantra will be, the less I do, the more I create. You can find the link in the show notes. And now back to our show. What do you say to people who tell you, I hate marketing, just like you have people who hate litigation. They don't want to be a litigator. And so they find practice areas where they don't have to interact with people. And so when it comes to marketing, they envision those uncomfortable networking meetings where you have to make small talk with people you could care less about or eat another rubber chicken dinner or whatever it is. What do you say to those people who just go, oh my God, don't say the word rainmaking to me? A couple things, Davina. First of all, I would ask them, why they're interested in marketing, because we all do the things that we're driven to by our motivations, our values, and our preferences. So why marketing? Why are you interested? What do you think it's going to do for you in your career? What are your long-term goals? What are you hoping for? I'm specifically thinking about people who don't want to do marketing. They have a career as a lawyer, and they know they need to get a book of business to be successful in that career. They know they need to get a book of business if they have their own law firm, but they're introverted. They don't like networking. They don't like going out. What do you say to those people in how to get business, how to overcome that, how to find what suits them? First of all, one of the people I worked with on marketing was the most highly introverted person I had ever met in my life. And I can say that with data because I do personality assessments on the people that I coach. And she was a zero in sociability. Zero. Wow. Wow. I've never met a zero before. The most highly introverted person I've ever met. And she became a successful networker and marketer because she did it in the introvert's way by building individual relationships. First, she dipped into her current client base and started building relationships with the people that she was already working on. Now, that can be a double-edged sword because that's usually somebody else's client. But she started honing her relationship skills that way. And then she teamed up with another lawyer at the firm who was more outgoing than she was. And they worked on a business development plan together that incorporated some of her talents, which she was a demon about researching prospects. You know, she knew everything when they went into a pitch meeting. So they used her skills to find out about the client, do market research, competitive analysis, all those kinds of things. And they used the other person to do more of the touchy-feely stuff because she was more adept at that. So what I would say to somebody who's an introvert is, first of all, I'm a shy person too. And I've overcome a lot of these things as well. I used to drive to networking meetings with my palms sweating, telling myself, just talk to three people and you can leave. So practice. Practice makes not perfect. Practice makes comfortable. It's like a rep. You know, you get used to it. If you've been inside for several years because of the pandemic, you got to get out because we need practice. 
And I would say to introverts to lean on things like LinkedIn, like writing articles, like giving speeches, because giving speeches is a lot easier for an introvert than one-on-one interaction. They do much better with performing than they do with socializing. I would say let's lean into some of those. I know that's an overused expression, lean in. And now I've said it three times. But I would say to you didn't mean on, it in a Sheryl Sandberg way. I think you mean it like you're correct. Are we, because Sheryl Sandberg is a lean in and do more, right? Yeah, I, I'm really talking about leaning on, lean on your introverted superpowers, and we'll figure out how to deploy them in a way that will be comfortable and not feel salesy to you. But I would also ask, why do you want to develop business? Because I find some people. They don't want to do it so badly. It doesn't make sense for them to do it. They're going to hate every minute of it. So with people like that, sometimes I talk about, you know, maybe moving to a different area of practice like government or in-house where you don't have to worry so much about bringing in business, but you can still be a good lawyer and get to enjoy your practice. With my clients, with the law firm owners, we talk about deploying other methodologies. So again, looking at who can help us. If it's not the thing, like I know how to be a bookkeeper. I was a bookkeeper. I took time off college to work for a year as a bookkeeper. And it was enough, painful enough for me to get my butt back in school and go back, get my journalism degree. Because although I can do it, I should not be the person doing it. And I don't enjoy doing it. I love looking at the reports after and, you know, making those decisions as a business owner based on what's there. But when it comes to lining up the numbers like little soldiers, I want somebody else to do that for me. And so I think it's the same thing with marketing. We can get other, just like anything else, you pick, and this goes back to what you were saying about what do you want? Like, first you have to know, like, what makes me happy? How do I like to spend my time? And then we can find other ways to get things done for us you know, it may be an investment, it may be a financial investment that we do to do that. But for instance, Google, that's a great way we can hire a Google expert to get the phone ringing for us, right? For example, I know we need to, you know, watch our time. So there are other things I want to ask you about. One of the things that you talk about is with women, oftentimes there may be a confidence issue in terms of maybe functioning in a traditional legal environment where it's male dominated being, especially if you join a firm where we have a lot of people who appear to be natural litigators and you're not, and you're having to become a litigator or even just in meeting and talking with an advising clients. And we're not saying by the way, that all women are not confident because I certainly know a whole lot of very, very confident women lawyers. But for those who went to law school and they love doing the transactional work or the behind the scenes and supportive things, but they're a lawyer. And so now they need to really convey confidence and in what they're saying, not only to opposing counsel and their colleagues, but to their clients. Have you seen this? Absolutely. And I was helping a young lawyer get ready for her first trial a couple months ago. And she kept asking me for tips to be more confident and tips won't make you more confident. There are some things that you can do. I showed her Amy Cuddy's power poses. I gave her some exercises to do. But at the end of the day, you know, confidence only comes from doing it Mm -hmm. and coming out on the other side and being able to evaluate what you did, what went well, what didn't go well, 
and being able to speak about it with a little more authority than you used to because you've now done it. You're now in the club of people who've done it. And people get wrapped up about all kinds of things. I hope people write posts sometimes because they're so shy about posting on LinkedIn. I don't know what they think might happen if they post the wrong thing and nobody likes it, you know, but they're worried. So I do think lawyers, they worry about if other lawyers are going to judge them. That is yes. really what it comes down to. And are my colleagues, you know, like, because we, we graduate from law school and we don't know anything. Like we graduate and we're supposed to be this walking, talking blacks dictionary. And people ask us something and we're like a deer in headlights. I don't know. I don't remember. We didn't cover that, you know, because the law is too vast and too detailed and too, for us to know everything. And nobody tells us that we're not expected to know everything. And nobody tells us how to answer that when somebody asks us something we don't know and save face, you know? And so I think that a lot of people question, am I giving the right answer to this, especially as they're developing their careers and they haven't yet learned that they're not supposed to know everything. And so they're afraid they're going to put something out there and their colleagues are going to judge that and go, no, that's wrong. You forgot about the exception to the exception. Because I think that's where that fear comes from. It also might be because every lawyer I've ever tested, except for one, is low adjustment which means that they're highly anxious. We are highly anxious people and we're sensitive to criticism and we fear being judged. So you're absolutely right. It is a fear of being judged. I find that interesting. I'm going to have to take your evaluation and see where I fall on the scale because I it, that is it, one of those things that definitely I relate to that all through law school, I was an overachiever because I didn't want to be called on and not know the answer, right? So I spent yeah, a lot right. of time, a lot of sleepless nights preparing and those kinds of things, a lot of anxiety, having started my own firm and all of that. And it does come from this, I think it's an overachiever characteristic, a high achieving person characteristic. You're in a career where you are driven to be high achieving, your success does feel like it depends on other people. And it only takes, the confidence comes from mastery. And so you have to remember that everybody starts somewhere. You have to go through that uncomfortable, you know, there are going to be times that are going to be uncomfortable, good days be uncomfortable. It's the same thing with visibility. When I first started doing podcasts, I didn't do video. And then when I started doing video with each layer of it, it's uncomfortable when you start. You look funny. You're like, I didn't realize my mouth moved that way. I don't like (laughs) my voice. You know, all of those things. And you add to it when you're in your 50s and you're going on camera, go like, holy cow, what's going on here? So, well, you can't be a seasoned pro without undergoing the seasoning. Yeah. And the seasoning is a process that isn't so comfortable because you're trying things for the very first time. So you just have to take some risks. And lawyers also don't want to take risks. So that's the other aspect that gets in the way of confidence. So one really important thing with confidence is keeping up with where you are, because I work with a lot of female partners who feel lesser than their male counterparts. And in some ways, when I interrogate them about why is he better than you, you know, we actually go through qualifications, experience, you know, all of it, and they can't come up with any reason that he's better than them. Evidence really helps. So keeping up with who you are becoming as you are becoming it, because, you know, I still think of myself as a little Dina Lefkowitz, you know, and you got to catch up to where you are. Old tapes are playing in your head about things that you can't do or couldn't do or wouldn't do. I thought that I hated being in court 
and that I would never go to another courtroom again after I left my litigation job. And when I was in my 50s, I had the opportunity to argue before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And there was this little voice in my head going, but you don't like going to court. And there was this other realization happening that I wasn't the same person that I was in my 30s. And this wasn't a jury trial. This was an appellate argument. And I thought I could do a pretty good job at it. So it taught me to question everything I think I know about myself on a regular basis because I'm evolving. Right. Those old stories that we hang on to that don't serve us anymore because we're no longer that person. I mean, I know people will say to me all the time, you, wow, you know, you've written these books, you've had this podcast, you did, you've had this, we're about to celebrate 10 years of this coaching business. I've been an attorney for 15 years, you know, all of these things. I'm like, yeah, but there's still so much that I want to do, you know? And it, right, exactly. Yeah, but it's all so much I want to do. And for me, it's not for the outside accolades. It is a feeling of there's so much I want to talk about and discuss and have it out there. And so we can talk about these things. So it's a driving mission, right? But it is one thing that I think a lot of women do, which is say, yeah, 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 but I did that. But it's hard to accept when people say, look at all you've done already. And then you're like... (laughs) That's yesterday. Yeah, I don't even think about that. And you don't think about what it took to get there. You forget what it took to get there. Right. You know, to put to first put your ideas out and your thoughts out and be vulnerable in the world to other people. And we live in a day and age where it used to be that if you wanted to put your thoughts out, you did it in an academic paper, in a publication, and you know, that kind of thing. And not as many people did it because of the complexity of that. Now, everybody's putting ideas and thoughts out and you will, and I know why people don't put things on there on social media, because they feel like people are going to come in the comments and they're going to say things. And one of the things that helped me was, first of all, a lot of people who come in the content and comments are like spammers, right? They're trolls. So you just discount that as a bot or as a whatever. But if you have people who disagree with you or whatever, you also think to yourself, if they don't resonate with what I'm putting out, they're not going to be my client anyway. So I'm just not going to worry about that. They're not going to spend money with me anyway. The people who are going, oh my God, that makes so much sense to me. I totally get that. That happened in my life. Those are the people that you turn your focus to because they're the ones who are more likely to work with you in some way, whether it's hiring you or referring people to you or singing your praises or whatever that helps get you more business. And so really just saying that person who's saying that, if they're not for me, then, you know, rock on, do your thing, man. (laughs) Not everybody, I could be the sweetest peach in the orchard. Not everybody likes peaches, right? I love that. Yeah. Remembering that. Yeah. Yeah. So not everyone is for everyone. I do want to address one more thing before we wrap up. I know both of us have a hard stop in a minute, but in your book, it says your title is winning in your own court, 10 laws for successful career without burning out or selling out. Tell me, we know what burnout is because a lot of people are talking about burnout these days, but tell me what you mean by selling out because I think that's a really interesting thought. We give up our lives for the profession. We give up our vacations. We give up our time off. We give up our time with our families. We give up reading. We give up swimming. We give up playing the guitar. We give up our pursuits because we have to always be available for our clients or our bosses when they need us. We have to drop everything. The judges are probably the worst offenders because they will call you to trial the day after Thanksgiving, the day after Christmas, the day after New Year's. They don't care about your life. They don't care what plans you had. 
So selling out is basically, in my view, agreeing to a life that you don't want in exchange for a paycheck. And I was just talking to a guy recently, miserable in his work, doing corporate M&A stuff. And I did his Hogan assessment, and he was a 100 in altruism. That's the highest score you can have. So he wow. cares about helping people and making the world a better place. And, and he's doing M&A. Right. And the plight of the less fortunate. And he's doing M&A. So why do you think he's unhappy? Right. Every day he's living he's out of alignment. He's out of alignment right. with who he right. truly is. Yeah. So interesting. All right. So that's what I, I mean about selling out because he was working at a big firm, making a ton of money and absolutely miserable. And it's not selling out for other people. It's selling yourself out really exactly. is what we're talking about. So we're saying you're going to get to the end of your life and you will have lived somebody else's version of it instead of the one that you truly wanted to live. Right. So I love that. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up today. Right. You and I both have to move on to other appointments, but tell everybody how they can find out more about you and your where they can get your book and Great. connect with you. Thank you. My business is called Achievement by Design. I have a website, www.achievementbydesign.com. I'm Dina Lefkowitz. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. That's where I do most of my social media posting on LinkedIn. And this is a copy of my book, Winning in Your Own Court, which is available at Amazon, at the American Bar Association, and anywhere else that books are sold. So fabulous. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Dina. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm sorry it had to be so short, but I appreciate having you on and I'm sure we'll stay in touch. If you're ready to create more of what you truly desire in your business and your life, then you'll want to visit us at WealthyWomanLawyer.com to learn more about how we help our clients create wealth-generating law firms with ease.